He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The text that calls for our attention this Lord's Day is our first reading from Acts chapter 2, where we heard part of Peter's sermon from Pentecost Day. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is a plot line that no doubt has been in more than one movie or book. There is someone who is perceived as a threat by those who are in power and perhaps is even perceived as a threat to the common people as well. At first, those with authority try to deal with that threat in very non-aggressive ways. They talk about ways to neutralize it. They think about ways to neutralize it. They may even take some actions in order to neutralize it, but actions that wouldn't cause anyone any harm. But when the threat grows to a degree that is considered too dangerous, the situation changes. And often in the end, the judgment is made that the situation is so dangerous that indeed the one who is the threat must be sacrificed. Yes, you must get rid of the threat itself, even if that is a person. In a movie that tells this story, often the movie itself might end with a breathtaking scene where the threat is extinguished in one dynamic way or another. As the credits roll, you might see the people in power rejoicing, and even the common people coming out to cheer that hero who has saved them and their children. If you were watching a movie like this, you might think that there couldn't possibly be a sequel to such a movie, at least not unless a new threat was introduced in that sequel. After all, the original threat is gone. But sometimes, you know, there is a sequel in a movie like this, even when no new threat is introduced. After all, in our world, if there's enough interest in a movie, there will be a sequel. But how can that be possible if the main threat is already gone? Well, it's only possible if that main threat was not really extinguished. A sequel might begin by showing that one who was thought to be the threat digging out of the pile of rubble that everyone else assumed killed him or her. The rest of the movie might then show how this one exacts revenge on those who plotted their demise. I wonder if when people heard Peter's message on Pentecost Day, which we heard again today in our first reading, I wonder if they wondered if they had entered into such a sequel. I wonder if a little terror ran through their hearts when they heard these words. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What was the point of the Spirit's words that day that came forth from Peter's mouth? Well, first, to make absolutely clear that Jesus' crucifixion could not simply be laid at the feet of the Romans. No, the whole house of Israel, the entirety of those people gathered together there at the temple in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, was ultimately responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. Indeed, I am sure that some in the crowd that day at Pentecost, had been present for Holy Week as well. Perhaps some of them had even cried out, Crucify. Others, perhaps, had remained silent for fear of the powers that existed. 
But even if they had not participated in such a direct way, the Spirit said they were still part of the reason that indeed Jesus had been crucified. The guilt for this extreme action was a communal guilt borne by all the house of Israel. But this message alone, I guess, would not have brought terror into their hearts. After all, they could have simply told themselves that they had done a good thing, ridding the world of a threat. It was good that they had participated in Jesus' crucifixion, they could say. After all, Jesus was a blasphemer who challenged the entire religious establishment of the day and brought much unwanted attention from the Roman rulers. Yes, if Jesus had just been crucified and was still dead, they could tell themselves that they participated in a noble cause, burying Jesus underneath a pile of rubble. But the problem was this. Jesus, he was alive. And he was alive not because he had tricked the Romans, who were experts at death, but he was alive because he had tricked death itself. Yes, after being dead for three days, God raised him up from the dead. And that astounding feat meant that everything had changed. That Jesus, whom they crucified, was now unquestionably both Lord and Christ. Jesus had crawled out of the rubble, so to speak. And that was not good news to those who were listening at Pentecost. For if you were the one who had buried Jesus there, well, what would it mean for you that he was now alive? What do you think your first response would have been if you had participated in Christ's death and then heard Peter's words on Pentecost? Would you have cried out in joy, He is risen, he is risen indeed, alleluia? Or would you have cried out in terror, What? He's risen? What's he going to do to us now? We are told that the people listening were cut to the heart. And what exactly does that mean? Well, it means that terror struck their hearts, so much so that they knew there had to be some response for them to do. They understood that if they had crucified someone and he was now raised up, well, he would have every right to come back and destroy them. This sequel could end in their demise and there would be no trilogy made. It would be the end of their story and the end of the story. And so they asked, Brothers, what shall we do? I mentioned that most likely the sequel to the movie I described at the beginning of this sermon would be the one where the bad guy buried in the rubble came back and then exacted revenge on those who had sought his demise. But another story could be told as well. We might find out that that threat everyone else thought was the threat was in fact not the threat at all. Yes, that supposed bad guy of the first film might well be revealed in the second film to be the true hero. Those in power and even the common people might be shown to be the ones who truly committed the atrocity. He could rise up and he could actually save the very people who sought to do him in. He could have compassion on them because they did not know what they were doing. He could have mercy on them, even upon those who knew exactly what they were doing. And that is the sequel that began on Pentecost Day. Jesus was not a threat, but he was the Savior. 
And even though it would have been perfectly just for him to exact revenge on those who thought otherwise, he would not do so, for his nature is to be loving and merciful. Brothers, what shall we do? Well, luckily, the answer was not run and run fast in order that Jesus might not catch you and destroy you. Instead, it was simply this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were assured that that promise was for them and for their children and for all people, even those afar off, everyone whom God would call to himself. God was saving these people from the crooked generation of which they were a participating part. We don't usually think of the word terror when we think of our celebration of the resurrection. From very early on, we have been taught that Easter Day is a day of pure joy. It is a day to blow the trumpets and smell the lilies. It is a day to ring out our alleluias. And all of that, of course, is true. We have not been told a lie, but it's only true because God loves us and he desired to save us. For there is a sense in which when we first ponder the resurrection, there should be a moment of terror for us as well. Because if we have walked the road of Holy Week together, we know the reason why Jesus was there in the tomb. We know the reason why he breathed his last breath upon the cross. We know the reason why he suffered such injustice all along his path. We know that we are the reason. We know that it was our sins that were piled on top of him. It was the rubble of our lives that put him in the grave. And so for a moment when we hear that he is raised up, he should be a little terrified. For if God was simply seeking justice through revenge, we certainly would have no reason to sing Alleluia. Our best option too would be to run away from God, and of course, that would be a ludicrous attempt anyways. Yes, if God simply wanted revenge upon those responsible for his son's death, well, then the sequel would end with our demise, and there would be no trilogy made. But thanks be to God, that's not what God wants. He wants for you to be saved. So what ought you to do when you recognize that Jesus was crucified because of you and your sins and is now alive again, having been raised up? Blessedly, the answer is not run, but it is repent. Be baptized if you have not been baptized already or return to the blessings of your baptism by confessing your sins and hearing the word of forgiveness again. Receive that forgiveness that Christ has won for you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit that is the gift of God intended for you. Save yourself from this crooked generation. Rejoice that your souls are among those who have been added to the number of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The resurrection, you see, could have been a terror to all involved in Jesus' crucifixion, you and me included. But instead, because of God's grace and mercy, and in his love, Easter is instead for us our eternal joy. He returns out of the rubble, not to come back and destroy us, but to make all things new for us. That one who was supposed to be the threat 
is in fact our hero. He is our Savior. And so we do cry out rightly, He is risen, He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.